Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, thanks for being with us today. Um, it's been a great, beautiful week. Uh, hopefully you guys have had a good time. Uh, it's fun watching all of your adventures on social media, like many of you have been traveling and camping and things like that. We have a few in our, in our church family who are dealing with uh, health issues, so be praying for our body uh, as we remain healthy and as we, um, yeah, just do the things that uh, God has called us to do. We're in our eighth week of investigating the teachings of Christ known as the Sermon on the Mount. I hope these uh, weeks of study have been inspiring for you. By way of reflection, we've spent the first few weeks considering Jesus' teaching known as the Beatitudes. Honestly, we probably could have spent seven weeks on the Beatitudes, you know, just kind of considering each of these. They're so important, instrumental for us. You know, they, they become essentially a mission statement for the church, for the people of God. These define who we are and who we want to be. They affirm the things that we know to be true of God and his kingdom and us as its inhabitants. You know, a lot like the, the preamble to the Constitution that we have in our country, the Beatitudes define the essence of the kingdom's vision of itself. And it expresses the sort of citizenry that we hope to embody. The Beatitudes proclaim what is, in light of the kingdom of heaven, unassailably true. So that was our first few weeks as we entered into this series. In recent weeks, we've been considering the series of teachings that come right after the Beatitudes, in which Jesus describes how those core identities, those things that we know to be true, should be living and changing us, living out in the way we interact with one another the way they shape us and motivate our priorities. How our mindset is really set free from harmful patterns of selfish desires or selfish ambitions. And how Jesus calls us to set our focus outward, considering our communities and our surroundings. We heard the call to be salt and light, to be present and provocative ambassadors in the, for the kingdom of heaven in the places where light is needed the most. We heard from Pastor Grace how fasting and prayer and giving, they become a foundational element, a cornerstone to our lives. How these practices of abstinence, these uh, inactions of our faith and generosity shape us into people of intentionality who can be a benefit to the world around us. Jesus then provided us a model of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And of course, we all remember Tina sharing her story and her experience with the Lord's Prayer and how impactful and, 
and healing that was for her in her life in a moment that, in a season that felt really hard. How this model of prayer for us can become healing and can become life-giving in all, in all of our seasons, whether we're in a season of struggle or a season of joy. And then, of course, last week, Bob shared with us Jesus' warning about the influence of greed in our lives. How the pursuit of wealth for its own sake can really undermine our trust in God, and it can become an all-consuming root in our lives. We then heard story after story of God's faithfulness to Bob and Stephanie as he really challenged them into really some uncomfortable territory where the budget sheet just did not line up, but God provided over and over and over again in dramatic ways. And of course, the encouragement was that God cares for us. He knows our needs. Have these weeks been meaningful for you? Amen. You know, I think, it's, I think it can be easy for us to allow these things that many of us have heard before to kind of become just familiar, to maybe lose the freshness of really what Jesus is saying to us when he taught on the, on this, on the mount. They've become persistent in our minds and, you know, so persistent that it becomes easy to assume that we've heard it all before. That we know all about trust and we know all about discipline and we know all about compassion. If we're not careful, it may become easy to allow these truths of our core identities as followers of Christ, these ideals and thoughts of ideals of thoughts and behaviors that we extol to simply be reduced to just platitudes that are easy to superficially nod our heads along to in agreement without really letting them reach our hearts. You know, today as we continue in consideration of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be hearing a passage that has this exact potential. You've heard it before. Even if you've really never been to church much, you've heard these words before because they're that uh, prevalent in our society. This sentiment is familiar to us. You know, the encouragement from Jesus that we will be hearing has become so familiar, you know, but it really is a call for introspection that Jesus is sharing with us today. It is a warning, but it's a warning that comes with one of the most beautiful promises we have in Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today. I invite you to, um, yeah, prepare to hear the word. But before we uh, hear the word together, let's pray this prayer. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy, fresh and anew, what you have to say to us today. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or click there, or it'll be on the screens for you. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. 
For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How do you think? How can you think of saying to your friend, here, let me help you and get rid of that speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this passage is well known to us for many reasons. You know, perhaps you love this passage because of how ridiculous the language is. You know, clearly this shows that Jesus has a sense of humor you know, the symbolism of the speck and the log, you know, they're not just a result of like well-intentioned uh, translation problems over the centuries. The image is really that dramatic in the original language. Jesus was saying, do you have a log in your eye? How can you, how can you help or see anyone else? Perhaps you remember this passage because it's one of those times in which Jesus just really lets those guys who should have known better have it when he calls them hypocrites. You know, it's similar to the times that Jesus calls the religious leaders a brood of vipers or a whitewashed tomb. You know, he really lays into those guys. But if we're not careful... That feeling of vindication that we like about that is the exact thing that Jesus might be warning us about today in our scripture. Perhaps this scripture is meaningful to you because you've been on the receiving end of the judgment that Jesus is warning us not to engage in. Perhaps you've been judged in the church in a way that deeply wounded you. You may still be wondering if you can ever recover from it. You know, you're here this morning, you're trying, but if you're really honest, your trust in the church is on a razor's edge. Whatever your relationship with the passage is this morning, I would like to con us to consider these four things with fresh new ears today, and I think it'll be encouraging to us. Four things that we're gonna be considering. One, what is exactly is it this judgment that Jesus is warning us about? What is this judgment that he's warning us about? Two, what are the pitfalls of engaging in this kind of judgment? Three, what is it that Jesus isn't warning us about? In other words, is there a kind of judgment that we should be health, healthily uh, pursuing and engaging in? And number four, in light of these words, how should we consider and join in our communal life together as a body? First, Jesus warns that anonymous judgment is dangerous to our hearts. Anonymous judgment. What does that mean? I think we see it all the time in our society. Consider the moral watchdogs, the, the fault finders, those who are ready to point the finger in judgment at others with no effort to involve themselves in the life of those folks. 
no effort to engage in the growth and the healing process that they're calling out as a problem. And of course, when we are quick to judge others in this way, when that becomes the way in which we motivate, it doesn't, it doesn't result in a lot of compassion for ourselves from others. In other words, if Rick overhears me chastising Noah, it affects the way Rick views me. It affects the way Rick interacts with me. You know, because Jesus says, don't judge others unless you want them to judge you. It's a natural byproduct of this kind of unhealthy judgment. It also makes us hyper aware, hyper vigilant of that same kind of judgment. So we might even begin to feel like we're being looked at critically, even when we're not. It becomes this kind of downward, downward cycle, this downward spiral when we enter into this judgment. But we've all witnessed this type of judgment before. This week, I had to do a little bit of traveling for work. And um, we've all had the opportunity to be on an airplane, I, uh, many of us, I'm sure. I did meet someone who was like lined up in boarding who had never been on a plane before. He's an adult and he's like, we just never traveled. And school starts in two weeks and I thought I'd go to Florida. <laughs> it was fun, it was, yeah, crazy. But um, how many of us have had the pleasure of you know, sharing space in this tiny metal tube hurtling through the air, being packed in with our fellow travelers? Think about the last time you were on a plane. Think about the last time you were on a plane with, a, with an upset toddler. How quickly did the murmurs of, aw, turn into, ah, man. And then pretty soon turn into just outright nasty glares. There's always that one who just won't let it go. Like we get it. The toddler's super upset, but there's that one who's just glaring, you know, or worse, hopefully you haven't experienced this, but they may start saying things like, would you please get your child to be quiet? Control your baby. I mean, seriously, why are you flying anyway? You know, this person, ten, this ter person tends to be the one that then plops down in their seat. Maybe you're sitting next to them, they raise the armrest, and they're spilling over into your seat. They take their shoes and socks off, and they take a tuna fish sandwich out of their bag and start burping it down right next to you. Yeah, clearly I have some trauma. <laughs> But we've all wrestled with this kind of judgment. You know, we can laugh about it, but there really is a warning in this for us today. It was commonplace in the time of Jesus for religious leaders to publicly judge all kinds of people for all kinds of things. Everything from public speeches about how this group or that group are just so far from God, so unredeemable, so dark and foul. From that all the way to thinly veiled accusations disguised as theological curiosities aimed at Jesus himself, 
We think of all the questions in which the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus by asking a question. We know what, we know what they were trying to do. These judgments clearly had no intention of seeing growth or betterment in the lives of their subjects. They were shared for the explicit reason to belittle others and then to boost the person who was sharing the judgment, to boost them in the eyes of those around them. In other words, how holy they must be to be able to call those people out for that. Jesus warns us not to engage in this type of anonymous judgment of others for a reason, because he knew that judgment can quickly escalate into contempt in our hearts. And contempt can then quickly become a dangerous cancer eating away at our souls. Contempt is that feeling that someone else is worthless. deserving our scorn beneath our consideration or our time. In contempt, we're seemingly gaining pleasure in pointing out the flaws found in others, thereby signifying that we're so much better than them anyway. You know, we show contempt for people in so many ways in our society these days, their political views, contempt for those who have different religious views, contempt for those who are rich, contempt for those who are poor, contempt for those family members who always seem to be embarrassing us or causing trouble. We show contempt in the church, contempt for those who are different and have different theological positions, those with different worship styles than our own, leadership structures, those from this or that denomination, those from non-denominational churches, contempt for those with different styles of preaching, contempt because how could they not have coffee in the lobby? Or how dare they have that color of carpet? <laughs> contempt for whom they do and don't let do this or that. We condemn, we condemn others for all kinds of behavior for their choices of sexual morality, for the way they use substances, for their stance on protecting or not protecting the environment, for their bumper stickers, for their social media posts. We might even go so far as to spy on our neighbors to make sure they're using the recycle and the trash bins properly. I mean, seriously, did you just throw the, Jay? Don't do it. <laughs> We're no strangers to noticing the flaws that we see around us. But does this mean that Jesus doesn't want us to have a moral obligation to one another? That we shouldn't have a sense of accountability? No, of course we should. And we'll get into how we do that well. But there, he's clearly warning that anonymous judgment of all kinds that leads to contempt is dangerous and we should stay away from it. We should run because contentment or contempt causes us to, to diverge into groups who all say and believe and feel the same things. 
Even worse, it might segment us into groups who rally around around similar subjects upon which we can aim our contempt. This creates disunity and suspicion between us and them. Or maybe just disunity and disruption between us and us. When suspicion enters into our hearts, it shuts down our own vulnerability with one another, resulting in fear and anger. No religious community can thrive when suspicion, fear, anger, or contempt are lurking among its people. Contempt is at the core of the political and social divide that we see growing at alarming rates in our communities. It causes us to actually move. We leave a city and we move to another place because we just no longer recognize the people around us anymore. It's that thing that degrades our ability to engage in civil public discourse, even on subjects with which we disagree. It can be escalated into identifying nameless threats that are working to undermine our society, whether they're real or not. Does this mean that there's not unseen threats in our society? No, there are. And we'll discuss that in a moment. But Jesus warns us to be free from contempt. When judgment or contempt contempt controls the people of God, it becomes a kind of spiritual cancer. We, just, we said that word earlier. That eats away at our power and our possibility. The creative imagination that the Holy Spirit has for us on how to interact with our world, whether it makes us uncomfortable or not. Contempt causes us to just want to take a step back from engaging in that difficult work. It snuffs out our desire to be the people that God's called us to be in the most broken of places within our relationships with one another, within segments of our community. When Jesus warns us against all such judgment, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't have high standards of behavior for ourselves and our world. He warns that the temptation to look down on one another for their moral or religious or political shortcomings is itself an attempt for us to play God. And since we're not God, it means that we're play-acting right into the part of the hypocrite. Because when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, that's exactly what that means. A hypocrite, in the language, is a play-actor, a mask-wearer. It means to be someone who's acting one way just for show. It means to be someone who puts on one, um, who appears one way to the world, but inside there's something completely different. So now the words do not judge, 
They're not a prohibition against moral discernment. Jesus is not telling us that we shouldn't strive for an ordered and just society and for communities of worship that are peaceful, that are living up to the holy standards that God has called us to. Especially in worship, Jesus is not implying that there's never a time or a manner in which we should hold one another accountable, calling one another to restoration and to peace and to growth. But in this passage, Jesus is reminding us that there's a right way and a wrong way to go about doing it, right? There's an easy-to-miss detail of the speck and the log verses in our passage. It comes from the last verse. It reminds us that, yeah, there is an opportunity for us to care for the speck in someone else's eye, but first, we should deal with the log in our own eye. Jesus is offering an invitation to continually participate in the growing process that we're engaged in through relationship, accountability, humility, among people that we know and we love and we trust. Humility is the, pre is the prerequisite for engaging in spiritual, moral growth process of others. We must first be carefully introspective about our own propensity towards sin. Only when we've stared into the depths of our own moral failures can we be of a genuine strength and help to others in their own struggles. Only when we've stared into the depths of our own moral failures and our own propensity towards sin can we be of a strength and genuine help to others. By demanding that we first care for our own flaws in our own lives before approaching others, Jesus is ensuring that our relationships move from self-righteousness to compassion. The judgment Jesus was calling out lacked compassion. There was no relationship there. And that's what Jesus is pointing us towards is relationship. You know, that's why programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, this model is so powerfully effective. It allows flawed people to humbly join in the healing process of other flawed people. It's a judgment-free zone because everyone in the room has experienced the same thing. There's a humility to say that we've all walked or run down that path. But let's come back to health and wholeness and strength. It takes care and intention to move away from anonymous judgment into honoring the potential inherent in all humanity to live as free, whole children of God, because that's what we are. We are all children of God, no matter where we're at on the spectrum of depravity or holiness, sin or whatever it is. Because we're created in God's image, we have his image inside of us. 
and the sin of our world may have covered that, but at the core, we are God's children. We carry his likeness, the imago Dei. By having honor for others instead of contempt, it enables us to esteem in them that God loves everyone, loves the other, despite their shortcomings and their failures. As we honor one another, flaws and all, we leave room for the Holy Spirit to begin working among us, identifying and healing our flaws through our shared formation. And as a result, we become communities experiencing God's intended shalom. Remember, we've used this word a couple times. It was one of our songs today. Shalom. It means right relatedness to one another, to God, to our creation. When we honor one another, it allows us to experience God's intended shalom, thereby ushering the kingdom of heaven in here and now. It allows moments for, for me to stand before you, for Grace, for Bob, for Rick, for Tina, for any of us who share this pulpit, to stand before you and to bring you words of encouragement, even when it means that the Lord might be working in our hearts and correcting our shortcomings by striving for peace and wholeness with God. Honoring one another allows our life groups to be places in which we share life together, in which we can have moments ranging from laughter and joy to moments of tears and comfort. It allows us to reflect and to look back and to see how far we've come and how much the Lord has been working in our lives, one with another. When we get this right, it's attractive and appealing. When we get this wrong, like Jesus' warning, it's the thing that causes us to make an audition tape for one of those self-reliant survival shows. Like, get me out of here, take me to the Alaskan wilderness, I'll make it on my own. I've had it up to here with you people. That's not how Jesus wants us to be. Of course, we can experience God in the nature creation. Some of us can do great with a weekend getaway. Some of us maybe a week, but eventually we all feel that call to be back with one another because that's how we're created to be in community. I'd like us to consider this passage, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, one more time, this time from the message paraphrase of the Bible. It takes a lot of these things and puts it into really cool language. It won't be on the screens. Just hear this. Don't pick on people jumping on their failures, criticizing their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging right back to us. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? 
It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing that holier than thou part of just, or just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit enough to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You know, um, one Sunday we came out of church. This was not here. This was when Melissa and I were living in Idaho. We came out of church and, um, you know, from our front door, the parking lot and a busy street corner, not different than what we have right out here at LeMay, there was a guy in white robes wearing a sandwich board sign that said judgment is near. Apparently, he was protesting our church. Uh, this was a great church, a lot like this church. We had a lot of young folks who were like super zealous for the kingdom and ready to engage people and no matter what they had to say. And they went and met this guy and this guy, the prophet Timothy was his name. And we got to know Timothy. Timothy was someone who felt called to show the church how they were doing it wrong. He felt called to um, identify the shortcomings that the church just wasn't doing it good enough. They weren't doing enough. Timothy didn't have a place to live, so some of our friends let Timothy live with them for a while. Timothy traveled around the country, never spending more than a week or two in one place. He spent a couple weeks among our friends there in Idaho. And during that time, Timothy had a lot of things to share. He talked about how this group or that group weren't doing this or that. He taught people how to color code their Bibles so they could really understand what Jesus was saying to them. He taught people that a lot of those the reservations that the churchy kind of people had really limited our ability to know and experience all that God wanted. Timothy started getting our people to open their minds by smoking a little pot and then studying. <laughs> Timothy helped people know that, you know, marriage is just this structure that society has created. If you're married to somebody in your heart, you don't need a piece of paper. Just do whatever you want. Given time, a few weeks, it was clear that Timothy was not willing to be a part of seeing our church, our people, our community to grow in healthy ways to God. His mentality, his approach really started making its way known, and Timothy moved on, thankfully. But it wasn't without some damage. It was quite a bit of reconstruction that had to happen among those, especially who spent a lot of time with Timothy. Jesus recognized how unhealthy judgment can lead to sin and how unhealthy judgment in our own hearts becomes a cancer that distracts us from what God really wants us to be focusing on. 
Today, our call is clear. May we be mindful of the ways in which we judge, whether we verbalize it to others or not. And may we be willing to enter into healing with one another as God inspires us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, the call that you've given to us. God, we confess that we can be judgmental people. We confess that, Lord, there are plenty of times in which we see uh, people, groups, organizations around us behaving in ways that are destructive, behaving in ways that are selfish, behaving in ways that are not in alignment with your kingdom. And it's quick, we're quick to judge. God, may we recognize the times in which we are able to join in with those which we are scandalized by and be a part of that healing. And if we're not willing or able to go there, Lord, may we leave that judgment to you. God, may we be people who are humble, looking first within our own flaws and our own lives and experiencing your healing so that then we can become a strength to others. God, may we be quick to recognize your image in those that you lead us to. May we quick to recognize the value that you've placed on all humanity, caring for and praying for them as you have for us. And Lord, within our church community here, Lord, give us grace and direction as we walk that balance, as we walk that balance of Lord, being compassionate and honoring one another and carefully, humbly calling one another to what you've called us to, which is higher ground, to spiritual formation, to becoming more and more into the image of Christ that you've offered to us through our salvation. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.